0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season three of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. It's so nice to be back for season three and I continue to be truly inspired and in awe of people that write me directly to be on the show or others who reach out on their behalf. And the caliber of leaders that I've met across the globe truly does continue to amaze me. And all of you know from listening to me now, going into our third year, there is nothing better than an intellectual stimulating conversation. And I know that's what's going to happen today. So my guest today is Robin Hills, and he's joining us from the UK And I would love to tell you a little bit about him before we bring him on and start a great conversation, which I hope is full of emotional intelligence mixed with a little imperfection. So Robin has over 35 years of successful commercial and leadership experience, and he's worked in a variety of sales and marketing roles with a wide variety of companies from small startups to large multinationals. These include the NHS, major pharmaceutical companies, biotech, universities, charities, finance, and recruitment organizations. Robin has the British Psychological Society Test User Occupational Ability Level A and Occupational Personality Level B, and he's also certified in psychometric testing. What I'm excited to talk to Robin about is how he's qualified to use trait-based assessments, type-based assessment, and behavioral-based assessment. So Robin, I could tell them much more about you, but I'd rather engage in a meaningful, aligned conversation. So welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Deb, thank you. It's absolutely wonderful to be here, and what a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much.
0: Well, it's my pleasure, and I was very excited that you wanted to be on the show, and I love that you were interested to talk about imperfection and heart-centered leadership, and given your depth of experience in emotional intelligence, I'm going to start with my questions if you're ready.
1: Oh, I'm willing, ready and willing.
0: Okay, my first question, which I'm really excited to ask you, and again, with the years and depth of experience that you've had globally, we've really been challenged as a global society for the last couple of years. And I think leaders as a whole have navigated this in many different ways. When we talk about getting to the heart of business, Could you share one or two strategies of EI, otherwise known as emotional intelligence, of how leaders could really take a strategy to do that, especially given the current climate and what we're navigating back to?
1: Sure. Firstly, before I start, I must say the title of your podcast was of real interest to me, heart-centered leadership, because quite honestly, That's what leadership is all about. It's using the heart and being there as a human being, not being there as an automaton, a robot. So everything that we do with regards to leadership, everything that we do with regards to emotional intelligence is all intertwined in such a way that we can engage and work with other people from the heart in an authentic manner and to do so according to our ethics, our morals and our values. And I think we've, as you alluded to in the question, We've had some challenges with our leadership over the last few years. I think the challenge is set to continue. And I think a lot of leaders, particularly our political leaders, have kind of forgotten the human element of it and the heart-centred leadership elements of what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of them will say what is expected or what they expect people to hear. And ultimately, they should actually have a lot more honesty around what they do. It will be very hard for them, but they will get a lot more support from the people that they lead. They'll get a lot more followers that way. And I think we hopefully will see a change in our leadership when they realize that emotional intelligence needs to be spread farther and wider than what it is currently. And that's what they should be practicing because if they're practicing that, then so will everybody else.
0: You know, you brought up a couple of good points. When I look at CEOs of companies that have thrived through the pandemic, I look at Microsoft, I look at T-Mobile, just as a couple, because I, I really watch their CEO's And they own their imperfections with laughter. And they talk about being transparent and being vulnerable and going, I really don't know what we're going to do here, but we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it. We're going to strategize. They're not meant to know everything because they're at the top. And I think because those specific two CEOs who I like very, very much, I love how they handle themselves in social media, they bring being a people person to a whole new level. And the stature and title doesn't really matter to them because they meet everyone where they're at. And I wish more leaders would adopt this. And and like you said, in the political, and I think it spills out across many sectors, Robin, don't tell us what we want to hear maybe tell us what we don't want to hear, but what your strategy is to kind of turn that around.
1: Yeah, and I I think one of the core qualities of good leadership that's often forgotten is uh, bringing vulnerability into the workplace. If leaders are prepared and they're confident enough to show that vulnerability, then we will get good heart-centered leadership. I think a lot of Leaders feel that they get into a leadership position and they should have all the answers. They should be telling people what to do. It's the kind of militaristic focus around leadership that we had 40, 50 years ago. And I think there are still elements of that presence in today's leadership. So good leaders have the ability to be able to understand the emotional climate and to adapt around it. And uh, emotional intelligence is not about being nice. It's not about being kind. It's about doing the right thing. And it's bringing emotions to the surface, whatever they are, and working with them in a positive way. So good leaders who are capable of showing that vulnerability and saying, hey, I don't know, I'm upset, I'm unhappy, I'm frightened as much as you are, what we've got to do is to work out how we tackle this issue together and I'm here to support you. What are your thoughts? What are your ideas? What do you need from me? Those CEOs who want their people to be happy uh, or contented at work, yet uh, are angry all the time with everybody because they're not doing what they should be doing, are hardly creating a climate conducive to good work.
0: Uh, well said. My second question is, it, it's a lot of fun and it has permanent residency on the show. Every guest has been asked and, and we've interviewed over 200 leaders now. Share with us what imperfections Robin brings to his heart centered leadership.
1: Well, Robin is Robin. Robin is a man. Robin is a human being. Robin makes things up. Robin get things wrong? Uh, Am I emotionally intelligent? If I answer yes, it's rather arrogant, self-conceited and suggests there's no room for improvement. And if I answer no, why do I work in the field of emotional intelligence? There are times when I'll go into a situation and I'll engage with people and we'll have a good conversation and I communicate well and I come out of it and think, Yeah, you did okay on that occasion, Robin. And then there are other times when I go into situations and completely screw up. Like I say, I'm human like the next person. I think the biggest challenge for me, and I'm still working with this challenge, is being a leader through being a parent. Oh, boy, have I got that wrong on many occasions. But I'm very proud of my two grown-up daughters. And uh, I hope that they're very proud of me. Yes, I've made mistakes along the way. But we shared, we learned, and we loved together.
0: Well, learning moments can happen in, in life and in work. And I love the way you frame that. And like you, I'm, I'm a work in progress, but continue to evolve and grow. So I, I love that answer. Okay, let's talk about emotional resilience, because I think it's such a topic right now. And I'd like to ask the question, share with the listeners some strategies that you've observed or implemented or worked upon. How are we managing stress as we weather the storm in the workplace? Because the workplace certainly does not look like it did in March of 2020, it looks very different across the globe. There's different modalities of return to work. We've got remote, we've got hybrid, we've got in the office. I would love for you to share some of your brilliance around emotional resilience and some strategies that our listeners can maybe adapt and maybe implement.
1: Well, if I may, Deb, if I can actually define what a emotional resilience is to start with, I think it will help people.
0: Absolutely.
1: A lot of people will talk about resilience as being the ability to bounce back. And I totally disagree with that because you do not bounce anywhere with regards to resilience. You actually are working through an adverse situation, a crisis, a critical situation that you haven't got any mechanisms for. And you develop and learn through the adversity and you grow through it. And the way you do that is having a really key core focus on what is appropriate to you, what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, where you're trying to go, and being able to have the flexibility to adapt around it. You might not like the situation, but face up to the reality of it and say to yourself, okay, what are the good things that come out of it? Now, you might have to dig very, very hard for them, but there are going to be some. And out of that, you then utilise your adaptability, your flexibility, your connections and your networks to be able to come through the adversity stronger and bigger and better because of it. Now, let's bring the emotional side in. We all go through emotions as we go through these situations and... The change curve is very familiar to a lot of people. Um, uh, The key tip that I would have is recognize where you are emotionally. Emotions are good quality bits of information. So ask yourself, what is this emotion telling me? How do I work with that information? And how can I utilize it in an appropriate way? And then recognize just because you are feeling and experiencing that emotion, not everybody is feeling and experiencing the same emotion. So we might talk about being angry, but a colleague of yours might be frustrated. A colleague of yours might be cross. A colleague of yours might be mildly irritated. So what is it that they're feeling? How are they feeling in that way? And what is it that you can do to help and support them? And what is it that they can do to help and support you?
0: I like the way that the two words come together. But when you look at them from a definition standpoint, they really do align to help each other. And the emotional part is the big one for me. And I also love that you said resilience isn't just about bouncing back because not everyone does. And if you add the grief and all the other things that came along with the last two years, that's a culmination of many things from a cognitive emotional standpoint. So I love the way you frame that. And we are continuing to weather the storm. But when you can look at what emotions are present, and like you said, I may be feeling frustrated, you may be feeling angry we're going to bring everything going on in our life into that workplace, whatever modality we're working in. So I think that's such an important point to highlight in the way you framed it. So thank you for that.
1: Deb, before we move on, can I can I really add that to this? Because I yes, think please. it's vitally important because people's mental health has now been brought to the fore through the pandemic. And I think this is a really good thing that's come out of the pandemic. And uh, we need to understand that there is absolutely nothing wrong to be highly anxious, um, which then borders on to clinical depression. And there is absolutely nothing wrong by going along and getting appropriate levels of medication to support you through that period of time. These medications take a while to start to work, so there's perseverance that's required. But uh, really, look at it this way. Your, your brain is missing a few vital biochemicals that the pharmacological substances can provide for you on a temporary basis. So at some point, it's important for you to get the support that you need to come off them. But you will come off them better, stronger because of it. So if you do need to go along and seek men. Uh, medical support because you are feeling very anxious and you're very uh, getting to the point of being very distressed and depressed and you're feeling that you can't cope with life any further, go and talk to somebody. Get the support you need. That is absolutely vital. And uh, please do not feel that you are a failure because you have done that uh, think of yourself as being a failure if you don't do it. I'm
0: just sitting, thinking about what you said about mental health, and there's a lot of good things that have come out of the last two years and, and what we've navigated. And I think the advocacy, the awareness and the education, and now how employers can navigate that with employees to make sure that they are feeling comfortable And you and I could have a whole other podcast just on that alone. But thank you for clarifying, because I think that's super important. And I think it's another element of emotional resilience. Okay, my fourth question, I want to talk about behavior and business. Again, we could have a whole podcast just on this, but share with us from your EI perspective, because I know that you have trained hundreds of thousands of individuals across the globe in many, many countries How does a leader inspire others to continue to build successful relationships? And I just want to align that with my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people, honoring it to the point where you're integrating always that ability to empathetically listen, not to respond, but just to listen And honoring the connection that it's not transactional and it doesn't have to have or need reciprocity. So share with us some nuggets, some behavior that you feel given where we are now in the fall of 2022 that could be instrumental or helpful tips.
1: Well, I'd like to go back to what you alluded to in the introduction, Deb, around my experience with regards to personality assessments and uh, psychometrics, a fundamental component of emotional intelligence. In fact, one of the first parts of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So uh, what the personality and behavioral assessments that I work with do give people Some insights as to what they're good at also gives them some insights in terms of what their weaknesses and liabilities are. But I'm not necessarily interested in that. I'm more interested in what people are good at, what makes them special, what makes them unique, what is it that they can do that I can't do. Because if we can identify that, then we're in a better position to be able to help them to engage with other people at a deeper level. The other important factor there is um, an awareness of how other people are feeling, understanding things from people's perspectives and the psychometrics can give a degree of feedback through that if you're using a good quality 360 but um, as a leader it's vitally important to have this understanding around how other people are viewing the world how other people are engaging with the world, how other people are emotionally engaging with the world and what it means for them. And in order to do that, you have to learn, first of all, your own reaction to events. And that will give you some ways of supporting other people because the likelihood is they will be feeling and seeing something very, very similar. But it's vitally important to ask the right questions. And then as you say to listen, to actively listen, to deeply listen, and to really, truly understand. And I often say to people with uh, when they're looking at empathy, you do not have to agree with the other person. You just have to understand. Ask more questions. What does it mean for you? Why is that so important for you? What is it that you have seen that I haven't been able to see. Help me to understand it more from your perspective. What value do you get from that? And now all of those are good quality coaching questions. They're good quality open questions. Great to be able to ask them, but more importantly, great to be able to shut up and listen to what's being said. Not only the words, but what's underneath the words and where it comes from, where they come from.
0: I uh I conducted a, a neat experiment last year with a CEO that I was coaching. He was trying to be a better listener. And we were still on Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all those fun platforms. And I asked him to turn his camera off. And I asked him to close his eyes and listen to his team. And it was a very, very good exercise because... It gave him another vantage point to listen. We took away the visual, so his auditory perception was was wide open. And that's actually one of the things he said to me was I could hear the emotion in the words being conveyed by each of my team members. Powerful.
1: It is incredibly powerful. I'm very, very fortunate to be mildly to moderately deaf. I lost my hearing 20, 30, 40 years ago. I didn't know at the time. So I had to learn compensating mechanisms and people will say to me you're very good at listening Robin I don't think I am but obviously my body language and the way in which I engage with people comes from the fact that I've had to learn those behaviors now they've really really helped me I'd rather not be deaf but hey that's just what I am. So I'm not worried about it because it's giving me this capacity to deeply listen to people. Mm-hmm. And where I'm talking to other people about uh, listening, I'm actually able to kind of demonstrate to them that I'm capable of doing that. And I'm hoping that they will take some learning from that. Uh, so, uh, to a certain extent, I'm still learning and I wouldn't like to put it on the table as one of my superpowers, but this is just something that I've learned to work with and I'm better at it than I would be had I got normal hearing.
0: That's amazing. I I hope everyone just rewinds this part of that question and re listens to that. Okay, I'm going to switch to what I call my Fab Four. And these are just... Four fun questions, don't think, let us know what's on top of mind, and the first question is, if I asked your family or your friends to describe you in one word, what would the one word be?
1: I've been described this way, and um, I like the word so much, I, I don't want to wear it because it is so special. The word is wisdom.
0: I can see that. I love that. I think you should take that. You're on the podcast. What did I say at the beginning? This was going to be a an intellectually stimulating conversation, and, and we're doing just that. All right, second question. What book have you read that you could share the title and the author, if you can remember, that was really life-changing for you and why?
1: I... Would like to point everyone back to the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Uh, really, that was a revelation to me back in the mid-90s where some of my managers had used it and they um, brought it forward to us as a team and they imparted his wisdom into us and uh, I think his wisdom carries on. It is a, a book with some really important messages in it, but they are very very difficult to carry out and maintain on a daily basis. And I think a lot of people will look at them as being very, very simple. They Oh yeah, yeah, I do that. I do that all the time. Yes, we strive towards doing it, and they are very simple. But to actually truly do all of them, to the extent that Stephen Covey suggests, then um, I, I think we've got to be honest, and we've got to be vulnerable and say, I don't do it all the time. I don't do it as much as I should do. Can I share with you another book that I've read recently?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I wanted to say to you that that book has actually been mentioned a few times within our 200 leaders. So it shows you how impactful. And yes, if you have a second book, please share.
1: I would like to bring a second book to everybody's attention. This is a wonderful book that I read by uh, a neuro. Scientist called Richard Davidson, and he wrote a book, The Emotional Life of the Brain, and um, what he has written around emotions and neuroscience has been very, very helpful to me, to actually understand it. And I've often quoted parts of it to people, and um, quite a few of them don't like what he has to say because it doesn't fit their world. Uh, Let me give you an example. He's done some fMRI scanning on surgeons' brains and he's found that the pathways between the neocortex, prefrontal cortex at the front of the brain and the amygdala are very, very, very strong. And what that means is that because of that, they don't have the same capacity for empathy mm-hmm. like everybody else and rightly so in the role that they do they have to cut open slabs of meat living tissue and they have to dig around in it and work with it and if you're working with a small child or, or somebody who's just about to die mm-hmm. they have to have the ability to suppress their emotions now because of this um they are often then within the National Health Service put into leadership and management positions where they find it very difficult to lead and manage in a heart-centered manner because they do not have empathy. So whenever I share this research to the National Health Service or to surgeons themselves – I am met with a completely unempathetic um, reaction to it. And they talk to me about evidence-based medicine on another level. But when you come along with a piece of evidence that they don't like, they're not prepared to actually say, "Mm, that's interesting. Let's go away and think about it. Let's explore it. Let's see if we're utilizing that in the most appropriate way.
0: Well, my, my background is in neuroscience. I was a neurotrauma case manager for over two decades. So that is a book that I have not read. So thank you for sharing that because I will definitely be looking into that. And medical people at that level are 30% of my coaching practice and i can agree to you that they do i'll say it in a very nice heart-centered way they love to lead with their logical mind because of the work that they do and the emotional mind they just haven't found a place for it to land in their day-to-day living
1: no and i think we've just got to accept that and Mm -hmm. uh, take them Mm -hmm. as we find them
0: And there's a big, big level of perfectionism and obligation as well. Yes. um, Which is why I call this show imperfect. And it's learning and listening and living and accepting. And I, I love the way you frame that. And that is a great book. Now, before I give you my last, question to finish out the show I just want to say I'm so delighted that our paths have crossed I had an Irish Nana who was 90% deaf in in both of her ears and she didn't frame it the same as you but she learned to to compensate and always enjoyed the cliche of saying to me you've been blessed with two ears for a reason and one mouth. So figure it out, right? So it's very interesting. And I've had clients who had scarlet fever or rheumatic fever as children and have lost hearing. And it's very common that people have hearing loss at different ages. But the beauty is and how they've learned to compensate. And it's added to their level of empathetic listening. So that was a little tidbit about you that I love that you shared. And I love that it's spilling out globally to the work that you're doing. So just so honored to have you on the show today and grateful to spend time with you.
1: No, my pleasure. I'm also very lucky in that I have the opportunity to go along and mentor a young lad in Bolton. And I've been doing this for about five or six years. I'm on my fifth young lad at the moment. I go through them very quickly. No, I've been working very, very steadily with them. And now I'm on my fifth young lad. And he came along to me uh, when I met him. I didn't realise that he is actually very deaf and he goes to a deaf school now we often talk and share about our deafness yet uh, he's rather reticent to talk about it because there's this social stigma around it and it's almost as if he's embarrassed by it and i i say to him look, let's not be embarrassed by it. And some of the things that he has taught me has been phenomenal. They are naughty things, but I will share them with your listeners and yourself because I think they're very valuable when they're used in the right way. Um, When I say he's actually very deaf, his hearing is better than mine on some occasions. But um, he has learned with his friends, that if they want to wind somebody up, They just say to the sorry, I didn't hear that. Then the other person will repeat it a bit louder. They just say, oh, no, no, didn't hear that at all. And then the person will get very, very angry, very frustrated. No, no, didn't hear that. So I, I think the, the learning point from that, and I've learned from him, is is watch that you don't wind people up when you do this. But if you I just want a bit of thinking space and a bit of breathing space, or if you didn't actually hear it, just say, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. Can you repeat it? And it's a very, very valuable statement that a lot of leaders just have not even come across before.
0: It's it's interesting to hear that from you because my Nana was very adamant that if we didn't hear what someone said, we were to lean in and say, pardon? And because as children, sometimes children will look at you and go, huh? Or they'll go. What did you say? And for her, she wanted that instilled in us in a very young age. And it's funny because I carried it on with my own children, and then my husband's families from England, England and Ireland. And again, it was the same thing. If you didn't hear what someone said, you politely say, "Pardon," or "I didn't hear what you said. Could you please repeat it?" And I think it's a bit of social grace, but. What a wonderful opportunity for those boys. And it sounds like for you too, that you're having a lot of fun. So what a lovely story.
1: Yeah, well, we have a lot of fun between the two of us. He keeps losing his hearing aids, and it's his birthday today, 20th oh. of September, when we're recording this, so I've got him a little present, which is, is like a, a, a spectacle case, but it's a tiny little spectacle case, and it's for him to put his hearing aids in so that they don't fall down the side of his bed, and he hasn't lost them for a week, so hopefully he'll get them. Some-
0: that's so there you go it's the simplistic strategies right It is All right I'm going to I'm going to give you my four question and it's actually I just want you to finish this sentence for me Heart centered leadership is
1: emotionally intelligent leadership
0: Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect the heart centered leadership podcast I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned your leadership from our amazing heart-centered guest and if you like the show we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to and we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time and if you want some more heart-centered goodness head over to our daily blog masteringtheheart.com